We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter and the 5th chapter. That's the book of 1 Peter and the 5th chapter. And I will be reading and preaching on one passage of Scripture this morning, and that's verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here Peter writes, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy today. Thank you for bringing us together in this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we now ask for the work of the powerful Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher and guide this morning, that he would lead us into all truth, that he would build us up on our most holy faith, that he would transform our thinking and renew our minds that we might bring you honor and glory in all that we think, all that we say, and all that we do. For we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. This morning we want to return to our series here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and to the subject of service and humility in the church. Service and humility in the church. For as we saw last week, The work that Jesus Christ has called us to do is not the work of self-promotion, where we each look after our own interests and our own agenda, but the work of mutual edification through Christ-centered, others-centered service. And the way that you and I as believers are to accomplish this service is not through maneuvering or seeking to gain some kind of spiritual advantage for ourselves, but through genuine, Holy Spirit-wrought Christian humility. For genuine Christian humility should characterize, it should embody all of our service. It should be clearly evident in the way that you and I interact with one another within Christ's body. And of course, as the Apostle Peter stressed in the first four verses of this fifth chapter, which we considered last Sunday morning, the ones who are called to consistently model this spirit of humility before God's gathered people the ones who are commissioned by Christ to be examples of Christ-like humility before the flock of God at all times are the elders of the church. The elders of the church. For an elder's call is not to be a domineering lord over the flock, as though others are to serve him, nor is an elder to be self-willed as though God's flock exists for his bidding, But rather, an elder is to give himself in selfless service to the church, teaching that which builds the church, teaching the word of God, and modeling through his own humility that which encourages the church in its service. For an elder who faithfully shepherds God's flock 
and who does so in a manner that points to Christ, is a powerful instrument. Let me just say, he's a powerful weapon in the hands of God. And his spiritual influence within the local church that he serves in can be significant and substantial. Yet, as we can see from our sermon text this morning, the duty to model genuine humility is not limited to those men who serve as elders. But rather, Peter urges all men, especially those men who are younger and who also have service to render within the church, to serve in genuine humility as well. For Peter writes here at the beginning of verse 1, or excuse me, the beginning of verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 5, these words, Likewise, you who are younger, and it's interesting to note that the New American Standard Version of the Bible says, you younger men, and there's a reason for that. I won't go into it this morning, but it's evident that the context here is men. Likewise, you younger, or you younger men, likewise, be subject to the elders. Why does Peter single out younger men, especially here in verse 5, for this particular exhortation? Well, several suggestions have been made as to why younger men are being addressed by Peter here in this passage. For example, some Bible commentators suggest that Peter exhorts the younger men here about the need for genuine humility in service because Younger men especially are prone to the sin of pride. Prone to the sin of pride. In fact, when one makes a list of the sins that most often characterize young men in particular, pride, arrogance, haughtiness, overconfidence often top the list. And thus these commentators suggest that Peter is making this exhortation to this group within the church of God who would benefit the most from spiritual admonishment to be humble rather than ruled by pride. Then other commentators view this exhortation not as a comment on young men and their weakness against the sin of pride, but as a word to younger men in the church who may have expressed a desire to be used in some area of service within the body. Younger men in the church who may have expressed a desire to be used in some area of service within the body. In fact, a few of the early church fathers suggested that the Apostle Peter may have been writing here to a potential group of church leaders, possibly a pool of men who were viewed by the church as potential elders and potential deacons. And that Peter's exhortation to them here is intended to instruct them in how they were to serve with humility as they waited for God's leading. And I think that's an interesting suggestion here. That the younger, the younger men being addressed here were those who desired to serve Christ as leaders, but who first needed to hear this exhortation about humility. 
Notice, not about education, but about humility. How were they to demonstrate their humility and service? Well, Peter states here in verse 5 that they were to be subject to the elders. They were to be subject to the elders, not merely in the sense of following the elders as under-shepherds over God's flock, which is the duty of every church member, but to be subject to the elders, to seek to learn from the elders, to sit at their feet, so to speak, in a spirit of genuine humility, which is what it means to serve selflessly in the church of the living God. For younger men, men who show promise for church leadership, who possess the spiritual gifts and graces required for leadership, need to first learn and to demonstrate a spirit of humility themselves by submitting to God's appointed leaders in the church. For any man who desires to be a leader, any man who desires to be a servant of Jesus Christ in the church, must first demonstrate his own willingness to be subject to those who are leading. To put it another way, they must demonstrate by their humility that they're first able to be followers, not just leaders. Many want to go straight to being leaders. But the biblical pattern is that they first must learn in humility to be followers. For it is by being submissive to authority ourselves that we learn what the true nature of Christian authority is. It is by being submissive to our own leaders, to our own under-shepherds in the church, that we learn what it is to be a leader. We learn what it is to be an under-shepherd ourselves. It is by humbly learning and waiting and seeking to be useful. It is by being used by God under the loving oversight of our leaders now that we progressively earn the right to lead others in the future. And so the application this morning is this, and men, listen carefully. If you are a younger man, not merely in the sense of physical age, but in the sense of maturity and experience, and you have a desire to serve Christ's church, not just as a leader in Bible study, not just as a leader in Bible discussions, not just as a reader, not just as one who prays, but possibly as a future elder or deacon, you must realize now that your place at this time is to learn and to learn what genuine humility means and to nurture it. For you must first learn what it means to be subject to authority. You must first learn to live and to survive under the authority God has placed you under that you might be better equipped to handle spiritual authority yourself. Should God be pleased to put you in a place of authority within his church at some point in the future? And of course, the way that you show men, the way that you demonstrate men, that you truly understand what spiritual leadership is all about, and by the way, it's all about humility, is by patiently and faithfully waiting on God and being subject to those whom God has wisely and purposely 
appointed as overseers over you. In fact, it is possible that some of you younger men, younger in ways other than age, will one day be office bearers at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church here in Bonham. For a rich token of God's favor to the church is a plurality of godly elders, and we are and should be praying for a plurality of elders here. And yet may no man ever be considered for leadership here. May no man ever serve in this church as an elder who has not first learned to be subject to his other elders, to his co-elders who are charged with his care. May no other man be considered for the eldership here who thinks that he is above the need to submit to the counsel and wisdom of others. Let no man ever be considered for office here who does not see himself first and foremost as a bond slave of Jesus Christ and a servant to the church which Jesus purchased through his own blood. But let every man, young or old, who serves here and who will serve in the future as an office bearer of Christ within this congregation be a genuinely humble man. A humble man, through and through, from the tip of his head to the bottom of his toes. A man who has a consistent track record of service characterized by humility. A man whose name is synonymous with selflessness and sacrifice. A man who is free as much as is possible of self-will. A man who is full of passion to pursue God's will. A man who is not too proud to apologize when he's wrong. A man who is not too proud to show subjection to God and to others since Christ modeled the very same in his obedience to the Father. Indeed, the church of Christ, this local church, this congregation of Christ needs elders, overseers, yet under shepherds who lead by humble example. And we need behind those men, younger men, younger men who have a heart for service, who are willing to be patient, who are willing to grow in grace, anticipating that day when they will serve in office also. And then not only is the church to have elders who are characterized by humble service and younger men, even future leaders who are actively learning humility for service in the coming days, but Peter informs us here, continuing in verse 5, notice verse 5, that's the only verse we're dealing with, so it's not hard to find. Verse 5, notice verse 5 that the entire membership itself is to be concerned about humility also. In fact, the membership is to be adorned in humility. For Peter writes here in our text this morning, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, without exception, with humility towards one another. And of course, this language that Peter employs here in verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 5 is is spiritually significant in speaking of our clothing. And it's significant that Peter speaks of our clothing here for, for several reasons. First of all, it's significant because without proper and adequate clothing, we are barren and exposed. 
without proper and adequate clothing, we are barren and we are exposed. You could even suggest here the idea of being unprotected. For if we have nothing to cover us, if we have nothing to insulate us from the harsh elements, we have no way of keeping warm during times of cold. Likewise, when a church is without the clothing of genuine humility in and among its own membership, it too can become barren and cold. It too can be exposed to the elements, exposed to whatever cruel and harsh elements may arise. In fact, where there is not the protection and warmth of genuine humility covering a congregation, it can become cold indeed, and life within the body can become very difficult to bear. I mean, just imagine an entire congregation where no one is concerned about humility, where everyone is concerned about themselves and their own self-interests, where no consideration is given to others. And thus, we need the clothing of genuine humility to keep us well insulated, well protected, and spiritually warm in our relationships to one another. Then in addition to keeping us warm and protected, just as warmth and insulated clothing does, our genuine humility keeps us looking spiritually attractive. Our genuine humility keeps us looking spiritually attractive. For as beautiful physical clothing can draw praise and appreciation for those who see it on us, so our humility, which according to Peter here in verse 5, is to be our clothing, can set us apart, can make us spiritually attractive as a congregation. In fact, this is an interesting line of thought, isn't it? There are few things, brethren, more attractive when it comes to creating an environment of growth and unity within the congregation than the grace of genuine unity and the grace of genuine humility operating among the leaders and among the members. For when others see that the leaders are motivated by humility and not by self-will or greed or the need for control, and the congregation is committed to living in genuine humility and not divided due to petty interests and personal agendas, people will be attracted to and drawn to that congregation. There's something spiritually and attractively, excuse me, spiritually and profoundly attractive about a congregation where the elders say it's not all about us, right? Because you can find congregations where the elders say it is all about us. This is our show. This is our platform. You fall in line. When people find a congregation that's not like that, it's very attractive indeed. It's profoundly attractive. Elders who say we lead by example and we serve are elders who are attractive. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of a congregation where the people collectively say it's not about us individually. It's not about our agendas. It's not about our pet peeves. It's not about us 
having the preeminence. It's about the needs of others before our own. It's about being humble like Jesus was. It's about exercising genuine humility as Christ did. In fact, brethren, a church where its membership is all clothed in humility, all dressed alike, all adorned alike in genuine humility, that is a beautiful sight. It's a beautiful sight. It's a sight that the spiritually minded will find very attractive. It's a sight that will communicate to those believers who are, are looking for a congregation, looking for a church home, hey, this is a church that is free from manipulation. This is a church that's free from infighting. This is a church that's free from division. This is a church that is a safe place to be. Think about it. A church where everyone is adorned in humility is a safe place to be. Nobody has their own agenda. Nobody's on the attack. It's a safe place. It's a safe place to put down spiritual roots. It's a safe place to be open about your spiritual needs and about your weaknesses. It's a safe place to be nurtured and to grow up spiritually without being judged, right? With, without being put down, without being discouraged. Oh, that Sovereign Grace Baptist Church in Bonham would be a safe place, a safe place for all of God's people, a place that is clothed, that is dressed, that is adorned in genuine humility, a place where every member of the body, as Peter states here in 1 Peter 5, is devoted to being humble towards one another. For if we are to be spiritually appealing, if we are to be attractive to other believers, if we are to attract other families who are interested in, in spiritual growth, it will only be because we're clothed in humility. For when we choose to pursue genuine humility in our service, we find that those who are looking for such humility will be drawn to us. And I ask us this morning, are others drawn to us because of our humility? Or do we have a reputation in the community for not being humble? If we have a reputation for not being humble, then people will not come. People will not be attracted to that. It will not be safe for them and their families. But where there is humility, where we're dressed alike in genuine humility, then people will come. The Spirit of God will bring them, and they will see the support and the environment that they need. So let us, dear members of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, choose carefully what we wear. Let us choose carefully what we wear, what we will be clothed in. For the garment that we choose to wear, spiritually speaking, will have profound implications on the health and welfare of this church and upon our spiritual testimony before others. Indeed, if we are now clothed and arrayed in any other garments, any garments that are characteristic of selfishness and pride and that are destructive, to true humility, let us take them off. Let us discard them right now. In fact, you have my encouragement this morning to take those filthy garments of selfishness that you're wearing, that I've been wearing, that I may still be wearing in our own hearts, to discard them completely, to take them off. In fact, the Apostle Peter commanded us, in essence, to do this very thing back in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, So put away 
or you could translate this literally, take off like a garment. All malice and deceit and hypocrisy, all envy and slander. Take them off. Take that garment off. And why? Because all those things are contrary to genuine humility. All those things are spiritually destructive to the health and the welfare of the church as we carry out our mission and seek to direct men and women to Christ. And so Peter wrote, in essence, don't be clothed in those things anymore. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Take it off. But don't walk around without clothing. Put on New clothing. And now Peter is telling us here in our sermon text, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, what that clothing should be. Let us take humility as our clothing. Let us wrap a spirit of humility around us, as it were, so that we can be fully insulated, so we can be protected by its warmth, so that others can see us and be attracted to us because of our humble behavior. For what we wear, what we are clothed in as a congregation is is very important. It reveals what we are truly committed to. It reveals how much we value the grace of humility that operates among us. And yet, beloved, even more important than our commitment to humility and service is what God says about his own disposition towards those who are proud. Because the Lord makes a very profound and powerful statement here at the end of verse 5 about humility and about being proud, about those who are proud and those who are humble. For what God says, even more than what we might think, should determine the level of attention, the level of devotion we should give to this topic. And surely Peter reveals here at the end of verse 5 that God does not take the matter of pride and humility lightly. He does not take this matter lightly. In fact, I'll be sharing in just a moment how seriously he takes this matter. For Peter writes here, notice at the end of verse 5, for God opposes the proud. God opposes. That word opposes is a very strong word. I want you to understand that right now. It's a strong word. He opposes. God fights against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And of course, in the context of God's dealings with his own people, and that's the context, by the way. He's not talking about proud unbelievers that God is resisting. He's talking about his people and the way they handle pride and the way they handle humility. God's words here should have a very humbling effect upon us. For there is a sense, and hear me carefully, there is a sense in which God can stand in opposition to his own people. Now, that's not a popular message today, and we don't hear that message very often. But God is willing to stand against his own people. If you don't believe me, just do a study of your own. Read the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, And notice how Jesus stands again and again and again against his own people, against their sin. When they assume a posture of pride or they disregard the need for humility, Christ speaks. Christ 
opposes. We need to be mindful of this truth. And does this mean that God could utterly forsake his people if they fail to properly clothe themselves in humility? No, we're, we're not talking about God ultimately forsaking his people. For our acceptance, our justification with God has never been and will never be in jeopardy. Our acceptance by God is based on Christ's work. And our lack of humility will never place the work of our acceptance in jeopardy. God will still be our father, even if we do sin, even if we lack true humility. This is the assurance that we have in the gospel. And yet there is such a thing as God's people falling under God's fatherly displeasure. There is such a thing as God's people falling under God's fatherly displeasure. In fact, it's mentioned in chapter 11 of our Confession of Faith, which addresses justification. It states in paragraph 5 of that chapter that a believer or a whole congregation may fall under God's fatherly displeasure. Think about that for a moment. Fall under God's fatherly displeasure under which they lose a sense of God's favor, and they are not restored until they, what? Humble themselves and repent of their sins. So hear me carefully. It's very possible for a congregation to fall into a state where there is a clear sense of God's presence missing. It's possible for a congregation to fall into a state where God's favor is not being felt, where there does not seem to be a sense of real stability or Christ-centered contentedness among the people because God has removed those felt blessings from them. This is a horrible situation that's being described, if you think about it. God has removed those felt blessings from them and he will not restore them, this paragraph of our Confession of Faith states, until they have humbled themselves. How important is humility? Very important. It's essential. Until they have humbled themselves and repented of their sins. And I can't think of a more distressing situation short of a major scandal within the church than the one I just described to you. To be in a state of congregational life where it seems that God's blessings have been removed because the congregation, through its own sinful pride, refuses to submit to God. And thus God takes a stand against his own people, refusing to grant them the enjoyment of the blessings that he provides. I'm not making this up, by the way. I'm not being creative. I'm reading to you from our own confession of faith, which is a summary of Holy Scripture. This can really happen to a congregation. May we never assemble here on any given Lord's Day and somehow miss the sweetness of God's smile and presence upon us because we are refusing to humble ourselves. We are refusing to live and serve together in the spirit of genuine humility. And if we ever find ourselves in such a spiritual state as a congregation, may we as one collective body very quickly repent. 
for the very thought that God might oppose us in any sense of the term should move us to confess our sins without delay and to repent of what displeases him. Therefore, let us keep ourselves clothed in humility so that we will always have a full sense, a full awareness of his blessings and so that we will never experience the distress of knowing that his blessings have been removed from us due to an unwillingness to be humble. An unwillingness to be humble. In fact, let us recognize that by being and remaining humble, we not only remove obstacles to being blessed, but we meet with God's willingness to give us more grace. That's the other side. We've been talking about God opposing his people, but on the other side is this great willingness to give more grace, this profound generosity when it comes to grace. And we know of God's readiness to bless here in the last part of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. For Peter writes, but God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And so with the same perfect determination that God has to oppose those who resist him, God is determined to bestow bestow his grace upon those who approach him, who dress their lives and their service with genuine humility. And of course, the grace that God gives to those who are humble in this context is, is not saving grace, which I've spoken of times before, but Rather, in this particular context, it is that abundant, sustaining grace that God bestows upon all who cast themselves eagerly upon him for daily mercy and strength. It is that sustaining grace that lifts us up after we've been brought down very low. It is that sustaining grace that enables us to wait patiently throughout the course of a very difficult trial, knowing that God is working his purposes in us, knowing that God is granting us Patience and perseverance. And so the grace that we need is linked directly to the need for humility. That's what I'm trying to say. The grace that we need is linked directly to the grace of humility. We can't have one without the other. We can't expect God to be abundant in his giving of grace to us as his people unless we are Likewise, pursuing with diligence true humility. Now, I've been speaking this morning to the church of God, to us as believers. What about the relationship between humility and saving grace? What about the relationship between grace and the unsaved? Is it possible for a person to be saved by humbling himself? That's the first question. Are we the ones who initiate salvation by our decision to be humble? The answer is the relationship between humility and saving grace lies in the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. No one is able to save his or herself by attempting to be humble. No one. No one is able to exercise genuine humility apart from the regenerating work of the Spirit. In fact, any so-called humility that lost men and women appear to express is vain effort at best and false humility at worst. And therefore, to be genuinely humble is to be, 
according to Scripture, a regenerate person. To be genuinely humble is to be a regenerate person, a person who is stripped of his trust and his reliance on his own righteousness, a person who trusts in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. And I ask you this morning, are you that type of person? Not who's trusting in your so-called humility, but trusting in Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone. If you are that type of person, you can be confident that the grace of God is at work in you and that the humility that you express is not false humility, but the grace of God influencing your life. However, if you're not regenerate, meaning that you've not experienced the new birth today, which only the Holy Spirit can produce, you are still at the mercy, at the control, at the tyranny of a proud and stubborn and unbending heart. Did you hear me? If you're lost today, you're still at the mercy and the control of a proud and stubborn an unbending heart. You need to ask God to remove that heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh, a heart that moves and responds and bends at God's commands and for His glory. And I ask you this morning, do you desire such a new heart? If you don't have one already, do you desire such a new heart? If so, don't think that you can produce it yourself but rather call upon the Lord Jesus for salvation. Jesus can give you the spirit who produces humility. He can remove the resistance that once controlled you. And that's a good news this morning, that God can remove that rebellion and that opposition and that resistance and give you that willingness in the day of his power to respond to him. May God grant each of us this morning the grace to see that genuine humility is really God's work. It is God's work in us. If we do not have it, it's because God has not worked in us savingly. If we do have it, it's because God has worked in us savingly. And his desire is that we continue to submit to his leadership to be truly clothed in genuine humility every single day. If we are believers, we have the privilege of cooperating with the Spirit and his work of producing growth within us. People of God, hear me today. Let us clothe ourselves in genuine humility. Let us draw near to the God who gives grace to the humble. Let us fear the God who resists the proud. And let us give him what he deserves today. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for its warnings. We thank you for its cautions, for its admonitions. But we also thank you for its sweet promises and assurances. And you assure us today that the work that you do within your people is a work of genuine humility. And we would pray, dear Lord, that we could confess to you openly and honestly today that we know what it is to be genuinely humble, not because of anything that we can do or that we have done, but because the Holy Spirit of God is at work within us. Speak to us today through your word. Help us to see where we are in light of this passage. 
Help us to see how these words apply to all of us. Help us to see if we're young men desiring to be leaders, possibly desiring to be deacons and elders. Help us to see where we are in light of this passage and to submit to your will, to be patient and long-suffering and willing to learn. And if we are elders today or men who are close to being elders, may we see the need for humility as servant leaders over the flock of God and how dangerous it is to be a proud leader and a proud man and try to serve Christ's church at the same time. Father, speak to us today as only your spirit can. We'll be very thankful for all that you do. And we're anxious to see the great work that you will do through us by the power of your spirit. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.